Hey there, this is Jay Blake Fischera of the Score to Death Radio and Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Podcasts. And I'm also the author of the Score to Death book series. With the Score to Death books, I explored the craft of creating horror film music through detailed interviews with many of the genre's greatest composers. And now I am turning the books into a documentary. Production is already underway, but we really have only just begun. If you're listening to this between September 27th and November 1st of 2022, you can help make the definitive documentary about horror film music a reality. And while you're at it, also pick up some very cool tier rewards. So if you love horror movies and or film music, head over to Kickstarter and support Score to Death, the dark art of scary movie music. And keep up with the film's progress on social media by following at Score to Death or at scoretodeath.com. everybody and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum i'm your host peter brady no i'm kidding i'm your host mike snoonian and i am not going through puberty i just had a wicked cold anyway we are the horror movie podcast that covers every franchise one movie in one episode at a time and thank god i'm not alone tonight because a couple hours of just hearing just my voice would be pure horror I'm joined once again from one of my frequent co-hosts from the Movies for Life podcast. We have Brian Kuyper. Brian, how are we? I'm doing good. Hey, I got to say, I realized this yesterday because I got a, a like a Facebook memory popped up. And um, I recorded with you for the first time three years ago yesterday. And the wow. movie we talked about was Halloween 2. So this is just kind of a crazy thing simpatico right yeah. now oh yeah. my god and the very next episode i talked about with you guys was halloween 2018 so jesus okay so this is just kind of a, a, a just a fascinating thing that this all came in at the same time like this but wow yeah that's incredible it's yeah. been i can't believe how long that we've done this and how many movies we've covered yeah at this point like i do fear the day that we're like scraping through the bottom of the barrel for franchises like oh silent night deadly night four oh don't please don't (laughs) i just saw the blu-ray on special for like parts i think three four and five and i'm like do i need to order this just in case one day and i did i could not i could not pull the trigger on it but Brian, you and I are not alone. We have been invaded by your co-host from Movies for Life. We have, and I think it's been way too long since we've spoken. Michelle Egan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hello. G- glad to be back. So we are here tonight. We are here to talk about the 2020 sequel to 2018's Halloween or Halloween. Or really Halloween 3, you know, the third Halloween cubed. 
I re- it's so hard <laughs> to keep track of how things are titled. But I think we have a movie even more confusingly titled than Halloween. We have a movie titled Halloween Kills. And for the life of me, I can't figure out, is Halloween Kills, like is Halloween the noun and kills the verb? Or is Halloween an adjective describing the kills? Like, I don't... It's sort of like, you know, hey, jerk, speed kills. They took the oh, and said, hey, let's put Halloween in front of that. What if that was the title? Halloween colon speed, speed kills. kills. Yeah. Come on, Blumhouse. That's what I'm calling it an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, I think that's what we're going to do. And maybe I'll even put that in the episode title just to confuse everybody. So before we dig into the movie proper, here's my question. Where and oh, I should ask, what version did both of you watch in preparation for this episode? The theatrical cut or the extended cut? I watched the theatrical cut because there was only like four minutes difference, and mm-hmm. I was just like, whatever. So, <laughs> I actually watched both. I ended up having a little extra time, so I I checked out the longer version. As okay, well. I think I I pretty much stick to the extended cut when i watch it at this point so but like you said michelle there's not much difference there so i don't think we're gonna well from what i heard what the difference at the end was i'm not sure if i would prefer that so let me ask you where what are your initial thoughts on the movie and michelle as our featured guest why don't you kick things off this was one um i saw this in the theater and it was just one that i had a lot of fun with and that um i didn't honestly didn't take too seriously the first time just for me like the movie like it's it's in the title halloween kills like it's so brutal and like the kills were a lot of fun and that's that's mostly what i took from it i I got a lot more out of it um re-watching it again and kind of uh, especially like now that i've seen halloween ends and like looking at these three movies together like as a as a whole like thing you know and they're each doing something a little bit different um i appreciate this one a little bit more than just it being fun even though it is like still super fun (laughs) just good slasher slashery bloody movie well i saw it opening weekend uh that it came out Uh, my son and i both went and we really both had a great time with it because i made a deal with him uh we were only gonna watch the original and these three uh, as they came out because I didn't want to have the baggage of some of the other timelines yet uh, with him just as a, it was just sort of a, an experiment <laughs> that he was willing to go along with really and um, would he have been grounded like if you stuck downstairs <laughs> and he was watching uh, Halloween 2 Halloween 4 <sighs> on Shutter, would he have been grounded like damn it forever <laughs> yeah he was like you're, that's it you're grounded until you're 27 excellent uh, yeah but um <laughs> you know that but, now you're gonna have to go back and watch all the other timelines i know i know we are we are <laughs> i told him that that i'm open to that now okay um i told him we could watch halloween 3 anytime he wanted to but sure. he didn't seem real eager um <laughs> which is weird because i love that movie anyway um but back on track uh but he loves uh 2018 so how h 2018 i think is actually his favorite of all mm-hmm. the, of the four that he's seen and which I am hoping that I can maybe convince him that, Hey, you know, let's, let's watch the John Carpenter one again, because, you know, I think you need to take another look. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
he uh, he and I both had a good time, and I think, to be honest, um, for me, this viewing it was a lot of it was the excitement of being back in the theater after being away mm-hmm. from it for so long. Um, there are actually people there, you know, without it being you know crazy full and scary and in the with <laughs> COVID still being a bigger factor at that time and. Um, I found that watching it now, I think my enthusiasm for it has waned a little bit. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's fun, um, but I don't know if I like it as much as either of the other two, personally. Yeah. Um, But that's me. I think it's interesting what you said about your son preferring the 2018 Halloween, because I can understand that from younger people. Yeah, I I can too, actually said this when we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you know Halloween of like the four big movies like I think Halloween is you know and Texas Chainsaw are the two like real real masterpieces like Halloween Mm -hmm. is just one of the true achievements in modern cinema but I can totally understand how like a teenager now might look Mm -hmm. at that and feel like ah this is a little bit slow yeah yeah that's just the way like pacing is so it'd be tougher to get through some of that without checking the phone for a younger person. Well, it was interesting because he actually loved uh, Halloween 78 mm-hmm. and the scares and the suspense of it, you know, still worked on him all the way through. Mm-hmm. So um, he just happened to, I, I think, I think he was kind of hungry for a little bit more of the gore that he'd been sure. uh, from the promise of, you know, 40 years of Friday the 13th and various other yeah. kinds of movies, you know, that have come <laughs> since. Right. Uh, so that's, I think the difference is, is he's just, you know, he's his favorite movie, I think is probably it, the, mm-hmm. the new ones. Uh, so uh, that's kind of, I think more in his just familiarity is wheelhouse, what he loves to watch now. And so I get it, you know, and we all kind of land into what, what was, what were we formed by? What did we see right. when we were younger? And that's going to probably affect him and us, uh, you know, for sure. in different ways, right? That makes sense. That's yeah. why I don't really have a problem and, with remakes at all. Because if someone is into the remake, I mean, that's just more, gives them a little bit more incentive to at least try to check out the original. And if they like it, they like yeah. it. If they don't, they don't. You know, they have their own thing they can they can have and we can still have the original like none of them ever goes away so i totally agree you know and like there's to me there's nothing that like a remake of a property will do to harm the original than say like an endless parade of bad sequels wouldn't do you know it's hard to get upset at say the 2009 friday the 13th movie when jason goes to man uh jason takes manhattan exists (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, but I like that one I, more not, than the remake. Oh, I don't hate Jason Takes Manhattan, but I don't think it's like a particularly good movie. No. Um, so there's nothing that like it's, 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 you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is one of my least favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't diminish. If anything, it only kind of emphasizes how fantastic Wes Craven's mm-hmm. vision was. It doesn't take away from the original in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I would agree so. with that, yeah. So my first time with this movie, 
I watched it after its opening weekend because it debuted the same weekend I head out to tell you ride horror every year. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to have a chance to watch it, um, not even at theaters, but on a particularly large screen. So I wanted to like wait. I was able to hold off on all of the discourse uh, and kind of like keep myself away from it saw a little bit of it here and there and i remember coming back and watching it like a couple days after telluride and enjoying it like feeling like the bits that worked made for a very fantastic slasher film Mm -hmm. and then the pit bits that don't work are very very clunky and they drag the film down a bit but i didn't quite understand why this particular movie was getting the critical and fan beating that it was and i think that continues and you know actually before we even get into the background of the movie i had this here in my discussion points but maybe now is a good time to ask like does the poor reputation of this movie feel earned or does it feel like man it's a bit over the top how much people don't like this movie it i'll just say it feels way over the top to me Mm -hmm. it's just I, I mean, I I get not liking a movie, but sure. there's sort of that. <laughs> this is one of those movies that is drawn that sort of this ruined my childhood kind of ire, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't understand that at all. Um, you know, it's the kind of <laughs> things that you heard about the Last Jedi and the Ghostbusters reboot and things like that, and it it doesn't. And I actually think those movies are pretty good. I like those as well, yeah. to be honest. But I, I don't understand really the ire that's just leveled at really any of those three. Um, and I, <sighs> Halloween ends, I get a little more because that's yeah. a really different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. So I personally liked it, but I understand why people don't. This mm-hmm. one, I understand not liking it, but I don't understand just v- viscerally hating it so much as it I does, never understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the energy to hate anything that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember um, after I was watching this, yeah, maybe there were some things that didn't really work for me. But like I said, I just kind of had fun with it. And I think Brian and I talked um, about this one. We were like, yeah, I mean, it was fun. And one thing that I remember thinking is like, okay, we've always known like that this was going to be a trilogy. So there is more coming up after that. So I think for that eventually we're going to have to look at all three of these movies as a, a trilogy as a, as a whole like, thing and not just each one individually on their own, you know, like they're all, like I said before, they're all doing something a little different and they all go together. So I was willing to maybe just wait to see like how it, how everything ended um, before I, you know, really like came down on some of the things that don't work about this one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because now I think some of those things work um, maybe a little bit better. Yeah. This does have a little bit of that middle entry syndrome. Yeah. And that you have the huge hype and huge reaction to the reboot of the franchise or like the kind of continuation of the franchise, which a lot of people really liked. I mean, people turned out in droves for it. Mm -hmm. And then you have the anticipation for the last chapter and then 
this is the one that has to get you from the first chapter yeah. to the last one, and there's only so much it can do. Um, it honestly feels like the reaction to Halloween Kills was so negative that it retroactively made people not like the 2018 movie. Like It felt like all of a sudden people didn't enjoy David Gordon Green's movie oh, as well. Yeah, I've, I've seen that start up with ends now too, yeah. But it felt like a lot of other places were like going back and going, well, actually, this movie is so bad, I don't like the 2018 one either. They've ruined Halloween. And I will say, like, I can understand why somebody wouldn't like this movie because sure. the bits that don't work are super clunky to the point of, like, distraction, like really, really distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, the political message that they throw in this that we'll talk about, it doesn't seem to understand, like, what direction it really wants to go in, and it seems to contradict itself at every other turn. The only positive thing I can think about is it does feel like after this movie came out, a lot of people went back and started to reevaluate Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I have said from day one, it was literally the first thing I wrote about on my old site. Um, the day it came out, I wrote a review of it, and I'm like, hey, this is a classic movie. Like, this is a great entry into Halloween specifically because it's not a Michael Myers movie. And it does feel like in the past two to three years, like the tide is beginning to turn on zombies second entry in particular. And people Mm -hmm. are going back and and saying like, this is actually really good. So I've done that too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because before I, I, I kind of hated it. I think mostly I hated Lori's character. But I had seen the wrong mm-hmm. version of the movie the whole mm-hmm. time, um, where her character, I can't remember which one's, is it the director's cut? That's the right? Yeah. The, he, their he version? Say, yeah, the, yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd always seen the the other one where, like, uh, you know, her character is just not portrayed as well. But when you watch the director's cut, it's completely different. And her, her mm-hmm. story makes, is a lot more powerful and meaningful in that. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, agree. I I didn't see Halloween 2 when it came out in the theater, so I never saw the theatrical cut. I only ever saw the director's cut mm-hmm. of it. And I think maybe I and I just kind of liked it from the beginning, uh, but from what I've heard it could be cuz that's the version I've seen. Yeah. Um and so uh, I I've always and people say, "Oh, no one always liked Halloween 2." It's like I, I actually did. I, I yeah. if you saw the right the version, I under, I believe it. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. I, and I, and I was not a fan of of uh the first one when I saw it initially. I just thought this does not understand Carpenter's film at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and is and now I'm kind of like, well, you know, it's a remake. Remakes should do their own thing. Yeah. But and and I haven't watched the first one in a long time. The second one I actually like because it's just, is kind of a weirdo movie, and I like the weirdo entries in the Halloween sequel series. You know, and it to me, it's the one that feels. I mean, aside of course from Halloween three that doesn't have Michael Myers, it's right. the one that feels the least like a Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but I don't want to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 tonight, although I could, um, (laughs) and maybe I'll go back and watch it again after this recording ends, but I do want to talk about Halloween Kills, 
and we're going to talk very quickly about the background of this movie. I just have a few things uh, in the background here. Mostly that, you know, after 2018's Halloween comes out, it's a massive success. I think to this day, it is still like the highest grossing slasher movie of all time. Somewhere around like $180 million worldwide uh, when all is said and done. So even though they had said, oh, it's a one-off movie, it's the last encounter between Laurie and Michael, it's a definitive, we all knew when... Yeah. Halloween 2018 was coming out like we all knew as soon as that movie was successful that they were going to make more of these as fast as they could. And sure enough, after the huge opening weekend, they're like, you know how we said it's the last movie? Well, actually, we're going to do not just one more, but we're going to do two more because it's got to be a trilogy. Uh, Everything's got to be a trilogy now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Danny McBride, he spoke to he spoke after Halloween came out and said his initial plan was to do two movies and then uh, decided to hold off to see how the first one did. And uh, very quickly they determined like, okay, we definitely can go ahead and make more of these. The gang all comes back. You have David Gordon Green to direct and co-write along with Danny McBride. They're joined by Scott Teams, who had written a treatment for a sequel prior to it being greenlit. Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Andy Matichak are all back as well. Blumhouse will produce again, along with Malika Kod. So essentially, the creative team behind the uh, Halloween 2018 requel are all coming back, so you have the gang in place. Original idea, like there was some consideration, like what if they not only filmed two sequels, but what if they filmed them back to back and release both of them in October 2020, which would have been wild. <laughs> you would have gotten two Halloween movies within a couple weeks of one another, similar to what, like, what is it, Matrix Res- Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions did way yeah. back in... 2003 2004 i can't remember yeah year. yeah that was that was crazy i mean yeah. and, and knowing that that was going to happen yeah was was weird i mean i i've never really experienced that kind of thing before since yeah. so and even those were like about six months apart from one another they were um, yeah and those are also like much larger spectacle movies with a lot more cgi and vis effects so you can only imagine. I can't really wrap my head around how difficult a feat that was to yeah. get done. No. So we could have already been finished with these movies, folks, a couple years ago. <laughs> Wouldn't have had to live for through uh, how many more years of discourse about them? Oh my god, uh, that's been the, that's been the thing that I've has been the toughest thing about this whole trilogy has just been the Twitter discourse. I think. I like the discourse. I don't mind it. Okay. I don't mind it from either direction, whether it's whether I don't it's mind the conversation. Or mm-hmm. I don't mind the conversation. I, I just think the um, you're stupid for liking yeah, it. No, that's, you're stupid yeah, that's what for I don't not like. liking. That's that's kind of. The, <laughs> I'm not crazy, but this that. one is my favorite. Are you kidding? Like no, <laughs> I feel like I'm very fortunate in who I follow because I I definitely get 
a lot of the snarky discourse on both sides of it, but I don't see a lot of the name calling. Like I don't see people going like, you're an idiot if you like this movie. Mm. And it's like, look, sir, I was an idiot long before right. I liked this movie. <laughs> it is not the liking of a movie. I was just born this way, okay? Right. I was dropped as a baby there multiple times and have suffered head trauma. Um, yeah, so it's not that. So I've been, I, and I have been known, and I don't, I will never, like, if somebody likes a movie that I don't like, I will not go into a thread and be like, well, actually, you're a big dope for liking this. How could you? Right, right. Will I make snarky asides on my own? Like, I don't know. Of course. Like, can we just talk for 10 seconds about how awful Laurie Strode's memoir sounds whenever, (laughs) like, she narrates it in Halloween Ends? Like, this sounds like the most overwrought, overwritten book. (laughs) It's it's before it's been sent off to the editor. The editor will help. They'll fix it in post. (laughs) Oh, there are going to be some notes. Yep, definitely. So... Anyway, gang is all back. Uh, bah, 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 bah. July 19, a teaser comes out that reveals the name of both sequels as well as the release oh, yeah. dates. October 2020 and 2021, respectively. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. And I think everybody looked at the name Halloween Ends and said, okay, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Everyone looked at the name Halloween Kills and went, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> right that's yeah i it's honestly never bothered me so i don't know yeah. okay <laughs> though i do think the movie lives up to its title yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i there thought it was cool i kills. thought it was a cool because yeah. i was like okay mm-hmm. there's a lot of kills it's a it's the fun brutal one of the the bunch cool i, I don't mind the title okay. so <laughs> maybe i'm just one of those big dumb dopes who doesn't think about that no stuff. you Sorry. are not a big dumb dope okay <laughs> So as filming begins, other like plot details start to come out. Anthony Michael Hall signs on as Tommy Doyle. There was definitely talk of bringing Paul Rudd back because it's Paul Rudd yeah, and he's I, awesome. I remember that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh God, I really wish they could have brought. I just watched Curse again uh, last night, and I love that movie more and more every time <laughs> I watch it. And I, he's so much fun to watch in that movie. I gotta give that thing another. Are you wearing I, a I, I she, towel She's got right the now? curse. That's the 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 throw blanket. Yeah. I thought is that a curse like beach towel? That is amazing. It's the throw blanket from Spirit Halloween. That is fantastic. I love. It's my that. podcasting blanket. So we get uh, Tommy Tommy Doyle played by Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, Real Housewife Kyle Richards announces she's going to reprise her role as Lindsay Wallace. And Nancy Stevens will come back She's as so Nurse pretty. Marion. Uh, Nurse Marion or <laughs> Kyle Richards? Kyle Richards. <laughs> yeah. She's she gorgeous. Is. She really is. I would, you know, not argue against a little Nancy Stevens as well back in the day. So, you yeah. know, either way. Yeah. No, Lynn, uh, Kyle Richards does look like she looks, and she's actually one of the highlights of the movie as well, I would say. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nick Castle comes back as a cameo for The Shape, but if I remember correctly, it was cut from the movie. Uh, yeah, I think that's correct. I'm yeah. not entirely sure where he shows up in any of them, to be honest. It's a... It's really brief in all of them. Yeah, in the first one, it is... Uh, I think he's the guy... He's Michael in the window when Laurie mm-hmm. first sees him. 
In this one, it's supposed to be a POV shot from the drone when he's in the bathroom. And in Halloween Ends, he is a party goer that rips open his jacket and yells, you like what you see. Oh, okay. So that's uh, I see remember anything that. you like. See anything, <laughs> see anything you, like, <laughs> you like, which yeah. is a uh, yeah, which oh. I think is a first movie, actually yeah. a pretty clever little callback. That's like nice. that is a, a way to use a callback in a clever way. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, before this movie can come out in October 2020, a little event called COVID happens, and movie theaters as well as the rest of the world shut down. <laughs> Sorry. Which are you looking at my cat? Yeah. The, the cat just walking yeah. right in front of the camera. So our list for listeners. Yeah. Michelle is not laughing about COVID and the world shutting down. No. My twenty year old cat is now up on my desk and he's like putting his face in front of the camera and nudging the computer. That's It'll cute. be less funny when he accidentally shuts the computer off, but No, don't do that. Okay. All right. Yeah, don't do that. Um Yeah. Oh man, I remember that all too well um i think we all do of course but Mm -hmm. i mean as someone awaiting the second installment of this trilogy it was like oh are they gonna there i think there was and they they were real sticklers this needs to be a theatrical thing yes needs to come out in the theater Mm -hmm. so we're gonna just push it back a year and uh Mm -hmm. hope for the best yeah which is funny because a year later after this movie premieres at the Venice Film Festival in September of 2021 and does has less than an enthusiastic audience reaction, like people are kind of flummoxed by this, although I would argue that perhaps like the Venice Film Festival isn't the target audience for Halloween Kills. It's a strange choice. It's kind of weird, like... It's definitely one of those, like, we need to have, like, real prestige. It's like, no, you, you don't. No, you really don't. <laughs> um, but within about 48 hours of the movie premiering there and the reaction coming out of Venice, it's announced that the movie will not only premiere in theaters as well as some IMAX screens, but also drop day and date on the Peacock service. Uh, which is NBC Universal streaming service for anyone that has a paid tier, whether you're at the five or the ten dollar tier. And unlike Hulu, if you have the commercial tier, uh, when they play their movie, you would only get commercials at the beginning of the movie and then be able to watch it in its entirety without any interruptions. Which Hulu, take a note of that, please. Cause yes. yes, I know. Seriously, that's getting <laughs> that's annoying. Yeah. Um. So it's released October 14th, even though there's still COVID concerns, like that's when the uh, Omicron variant was starting to really hit. It was like that second wave after we thought we had put the worst behind us uh, and people started to really kind of reel back in again. Um, Despite that, and despite the fact that it's on streaming, it's still a really big hit. I mean, it Mm -hmm. still does... 50 million dollars on its opening weekend which if the you know it sounds small compared to what halloween 2018 did but that's still pretty big number for a 20 million dollar movie and a really big number for a slasher movie yeah goes on to make 131 million worldwide with about 92 million of that in the united states so again 
super profitable movie. It shows that people still want to see Laurie and Michael um, in theaters despite COVID, despite the less than enthusiastic reviews for the movie, and despite the fact that you could watch it at home like I did um, due to streaming. So before we talk about the movie, I am fascinated by like the whole argument around day and date and streaming versus theatrical. And I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on like doing things like this, like having the hybrid. You can watch it at home on a streaming platform versus venturing out to a theater. I'm all for it. Uh, yeah. I mean, because I mean, there are some people that. D- still don't want to go to the theater can't get to the theater i mean streaming is the best option for a lot of people mm-hmm. i don't see why people would have a problem with it being more accessible to more people yeah <laughs> which i i see that too i guess i'm i don't know some people don't like going to the I guess theater I, I hate I going feel, to the I, theater i know the time. i know i guess <laughs> i guess i'm an advocate of the theatrical experience the uh you know the the when we just have fewer and fewer things that we do as communities and as a, have a communal experience anymore um and i think I... besides sports and and going to movies that's about and maybe a the uh theatrical production of some sort i mean mm-hmm. it feels like that's about all we got and so i mean i don't know i i just think of when I think of my favorite experiences of watching movies, yeah, some of them might be nostalgic thoughts, memories of watching movies at home with my family, but the ones that really blew me away were the ones that happened in the theater. Um, and so, but at the same time, you know, having accessibility can issues and those kinds of things. And I, I know a lot of people just absolutely detest the theatrical experience because they just, it's just not a good experience. I I'm lucky enough that I rarely have bad experiences though. I sometimes do, of course, um, because humans, but, um, (laughs) it happens. Um, but by and large, that's not the case, especially, I mean, thinking of seeing some of these movies with a crowd that's excited and into a movie, uh, I don't know. That's, That's the problem. Kind of like where thing. Where do you get that? I don't live in a place where you even get that at all. <laughs> the only times I've ever had that experience has been with uh, you know at a convention. Yeah, mm-hmm. it it hasn't been that way really since I was young to be honest. Uh before the days of of a lot of television exhibition and VCRs and things like that. Um those that's what I remember it best. Yeah, the last time I remember actually having that at just like my regular theater, like just down the street from where I live, was actually from um, Halloween 2018. Um, it was crowded there when uh, I went to go see it. And so I had to sit in like one of the first like three rows closest to the screen, which I usually hate because that's like way too close. But when I, as I was watching the movie, I could sort of tell that the people sitting around me were Halloween fans, like based on their reactions to like certain things. And that was pretty cool. But mostly like that doesn't really happen, you know, where I live mm-hmm. a, a lot. So, yeah, I know for me, I 
I get to go to a lot of festivals or I've gone to a lot of festivals. And when I think of like the theatrical experience, like when I think of the ideal version of it, it's often that festival crowd because it's people mm, that right. travel to get there. It uh, people that truly love movies um, and they're a bit more hardcore or obsessive in their love for movies than say yeah. the casual Friday night or Saturday afternoon crowd. So mm-hmm. they tend to like, we were talking off air about the tell your right horror show where I've been like an MC for 10 years now. I don't even do a, please put your cell phones away. Request you don't have to, right? Because I don't have to with this crowd. Mm-hmm. Like, and I actually pointed that out when I was doing some introductions, I'm like, I love that I don't have to tell anyone in the crowd, please put your phone away because you already know not to have it out during a movie. Um, whereas like a few, about a month ago, I went to see Smile in theaters and it's an enjoyable B movie. Like I, you know, for by and large liked it. But what I didn't enjoy was like a couple that was older than me, A, having a loud conversation during the movie and then like the, her constantly taking her phone out to look at like Mm -hmm. an app for like 10 seconds. And I actually had to tap them on the shoulder and like, look, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like, it's really distracting every time that you like start having a conversation or take out your phone. Could you please not? And I think they were much better after that, but you could tell they looked at me like I had three heads. Like why would you even, it's we're it not supposed to talk because, in a movie. Uh, what? I, I think the the home theatrical experience has kind of ruined the theater right. theatrical experience <laughs> because people think it's that so they comfy. can act the way yes. they do in their yeah. own home. Yeah. Um, and and there was I I went and saw a double of it was uh, Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> and the Mummy, mm-hmm. and there was this, this asshole the whole time <laughs> talking. It's like, oh, there he is. It's old Boris, and it's like the oh guy was guys was like in his mid sixties or something like that, and I was like, I just kept on looking over my shoulder. Then in the middle of the Bride of Frankenstein, he starts snoring, <laughs> and then and then when the movie's over, he says, "You know these movies are so funny. I never realized how bad the acting was, and how it's like." Do you want me to just punch you in the throat? I mean, how, so yeah. I gotta say, you know. Yeah, that's right. Just watch movies at home. Day and date, fine. Good. (laughs) It depends on the day you get me, I think, on this conversation. And I will say, like, I watch. I just mean it's great to have the option available for, you know, whoever wants it. I like the option. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Halloween Ends at home. I could have gone. Yeah. It's really not expensive for me to go to the theater. It's like literally Mm -hmm. down, like, less than five minutes away. And I go, Mm -hmm. usually go to a matinee and for about yeah. six bucks that's all it cost me but i know people live where it's way way more expensive to go to the movies yeah. where the yeah. day and date hurts i mean christopher landon the yeah. director of like freaky mm-hmm. uh, t- talked about this on twitter and it was kind of a really good point he's like look his my movie being freaky got destroyed by going day and date you know when his movie kind of came out at peak covid when people weren't going to the theaters anyway and it was kind of nice to have the option to see that movie at home. But what that doesn't get considered, the only thing that gets considered is the bottom line. Like, was this mm-hmm. movie as profitable yeah, that's as true. it could be? And it makes it harder for creators to get their vision out there. 
I am less concerned about the like sanctity of the theatrical experience right. because sure. you know, like this to me, the same, if I want to replicate that at home, I can hire some unruly, not teenagers, but adults to come in, dump popcorn on my floor, dump soda on my floor yeah. and then talk throughout the whole thing. That to me is the <laughs> majority of the theatrical experience. And for good yeah. measure, I can break my chair. So it's uncomfortable. <laughs> half the time <laughs> right but Sorry. if it if it means that creatives aren't going to have as much opportunity to make their movies because we are seeing with streaming now the well is drying up a little bit like things are being pulled back things are getting scaled back prices are going up and the days of like netflix throwing billions of dollars at persons to do like their passion projects it seems like that is going to come to an end if it hasn't already uh and what i would hate to see is a landscape where there are less room for like weirdo cinema less room for indie cinema and just less room also for real auteurs to mm -hmm. give their vision to as many people as possible so yeah. that's why i think it's important to support movie theaters when you can but I don't mind when a movie like this comes out and I can watch it on my projector at home in the comfort of my basement. So not the worst thing in the world. There is also the option of the rental fee version of it, you know, mm -hmm. that they were doing during COVID where, you know, you pay like a premium yep. price, uh, you know, $20 to rent it when it first comes out. And, you know, for a family of, let's say it's a family going to it you know four people mm -hmm. or so that's a deal oh yeah <laughs> whereas um obviously for if if someone <laughs> but having the option you know of the yeah but but that would be hard if it's just like if it's mm -hmm. just you wanting to watch the movie yeah. you know which you know my my no one else in my family is really gonna go see barbarian i told i even told my son about it and he was like nope no, thanks. I don't know what that is, so I'm not going to go. Oh, you I know, and, and, yeah, I know. I think he would have liked it. Um, mm -hmm. And I said, you want to go see Nope with me? And he said, nope, because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. know what it is. He knows who Michael Myers is. He knows who Pennywise sure. is. He knows who Freddy is. That He's kind of in that stage of horror fandom. Mm -hmm. So um, so I can understand the the premium thing is 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 kind of like it still is a way to get, um, you know, creatives that that cash flow and, you know, people saying people seeking out this movie, mm -hmm. which, you know, I don't know if that's a, a possible option too. I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that have just been kind of thrown up in the air in different ways because of COVID um, that just sort of made everyone just rethink the way all of this is, is going to be done and, and kind of doing it a clusterfuck kind of fashion where no one, seems like they know what they're doing uh, and no one knows how to address this on the other side or coming to the other side, I should say of it mm -hmm. either. So it's a very, we're in a very strange time, I think for movies. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird. And it, cause you're right. Cause the things to get the most attention are obviously like superhero movies. Like if you have like a cape mm -hmm. in your movie, It'll be on as many screens as possible. Quality be damned. The only other genre of film that seems immune from getting swept up by superhero movies, it's it's horror movies. Yeah. 
I mean, we're in a stretch right now where you saw, I think it was the invitation or the initiation. Which one was the invitation? The invitation. The invitation. Barbarian smile. And then Halloween ends like back to back to back to sure. back. All and even a movie like I I have not seen Terrifier two. I don't really have any interest in Terrifier two. Like as a two and a half hour slasher where I didn't like the first movie. Right. But <laughs> but I am super excited to see like a little movie like that that's playing yeah. on a handful of screens, maybe once a day sit in the top 10 of the box office a couple weeks in a row. Like, that's awesome. I want movies like that to be... We actually had people come to us at Telluride and ask, like, why don't you have Terrifier 2? It's like, because it's out in theaters, dude. We're a festival, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I, I actually... <laughs> I, I I was... My curiosity overtook me, and I bought a ticket to go see it tomorrow. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> it, well, it's technically a franchise now. I know. I did and also I didn't like the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't like All Hallows Eve. I but, guess yeah, I would say it's a trilogy. Yeah. 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 A... yeah. Um but you know, a um, couple of couple of people sort of some of the things said about it kind of convinced me that uh, maybe we'll okay, we'll back. give it a try. We'll give it a try. Report back. Yeah. Get that <laughs> extra extra large popcorn for that. It's a and... long one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, two and a half hours for a slasher seems like, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. So far, I'm the only person in the theater. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, see, my theater anyway. doesn't even have, I don't even have to buy tickets in advance. <laughs> I, I don't understand people that live places like that. Like, I can literally show up to the theater and buy a ticket five minutes before the movie starts and it'll be fine. Yeah, we have one. <laughs> it's also like less than five minutes away. It's like the local theater. Uh-huh. Uh, I end up going to the AMC more often just because the chairs are more comfortable and the. Oh, we got new better, chairs but... in ours. So. Oh. See, they put in new they, chairs they, and I. They like, stepped it up. They're, they're like reclining chairs. They don't recline. They rock a little bit. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit taller in the back. They did yeah. ours. Uh, so they're a little bit more comfy. <laughs> they tried. I don't know. They tried. All right. Let's talk about Halloween Kills proper. Thank you. <laughs> oh, for... is that what we're doing I, here? See, is that yeah. what we're doing here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I, I love a good digression, and I will yeah. never shy away from talking about. So does like, Ryan. The kind of. <laughs> Yeah, you know I do. That was enjoy, a day like, it. I love you, Brian. Wow, the hate. <laughs> this is the episode where movies for life comes to an end. Oh, that 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 episode already happened. That already we happened. That one, so, yeah. Which which episode was that? It didn't well, air. There's an episode. There's a, there's an episode that is um, Clint Eastwood's movie, A Perfect World. Mm-hmm. It was going to be paired with uh, Thelma and Louise, but. Uh, we kind of got in an argument during the course of Ooh. that discussion. And so it, uh, it is only half an episode. Okay. Um, but, but, but we got over it. Love it. We're, we're better now. <laughs> Love it. If that, didn't so end he the thinks show, nothing, if that didn't end the show, <laughs> I'm know, not right? sure anything will. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see if evil will die tonight. Let's we'll see if evil <laughs> Dies. Let's find so, out. Okay, I did an yeah. evil dies tonight counter during this uh, rewatch, okay. by the way. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right, let's definitely hold on to that for that section. Yeah. So, 
let's talk with the opening of this movie and the how it goes into like the immediate events after John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978. What do you think of this kind of prologue to the film, going back to that timeline and seeing Michael captured? I personally love the look and style of it, but That's... I wonder about the effect of like what that does to Michael. So I'll turn it to you both first. Long pause. Yeah. Don't know if I'll edit this right here because I'm digging the long pause. Well, like you said, I I'm not okay. I'm not really a big fan of flashbacks. Sometimes uh, I don't know this one. It didn't really work so much for me. Like you said, the the way that they shot a lot of it, um, it looked very cool. Is um very uh, reminded me of the original film. And obviously very different from the way that the rest of the movie is shot. So there's a nice little difference there. But uh, I'm still trying to figure out, like, what the point of um, the flashbacks Mm -hmm. are. (laughs) Yeah, I I think they... mm, I don't know. I don't want (laughs) to... I I hate the term fan service, but there is sort of some of that element. Hey, there's Lonnie. Let's find out. We remember him. He's the one. Hey, Lottie, get your ass away from there. Yeah. Um, and, and all that, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. You know, there's a little bit of that. Hey, remember him? Those um, kids that were bullying him, though, that totally looked like kids from the 70s. Though, too. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I, I mean, I can't. They I just can't, look filthy. I know. Yeah, I, I can't ding the craft of this section. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Um, one of the things I think is interesting about this, though, is this just like Halloween too. I mean, it picks up exactly where the original left off and it does it differently though, because it starts it in another part of town. Yeah. Cause we have Cameron going after and finding Hawkins. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to this flashback, which also picks up where the, where the first Halloween leaves off. And so it's just kind of, it's, it's sort of like, double dipping in in what Halloween 281 does uh, in a way that I don't know I find it kind of interesting um and I don't at the same time as much as I love seeing uh, Jim Cummings as a I was just going to say that sheriff, <laughs> uh, you know as as a cop in in every as a small town cop in uh, apparently everything, everything. ever in um but <laughs> it, it's just sort of like I I don't enti- I mean uh, it gives maybe a little more depth to Hawkins character yeah we we know the the what you know he blames himself for for Michael you know in in more ways than one uh, as we see as it goes on um i don't know it just it it it's it's cool but do we need it i don't yeah. know yeah that's kind of i guess kind of how i feel about it yeah yeah i was really and happy think- to see jim cummings cuz i freaking love him so much also his birthday is on halloween so it's very fitting that he has a little role in this. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> what you just said there, too, it's cool, but do we need it? Like, that is something that you can actually say about a lot of this movie. Uh-huh. I love the way this looks. Like, it has a different lighting. Mm-hmm. The camera, like, the grain feels much different than it does in the soft. rest of the movie. It has that kind of Dean Cundy feel to it. It goes mm-hmm. back to the way like Dean Cundy 
shot Halloween and Halloween 2. And I think that, like, the performance here as well, like, this feels so much like the shape from Halloween and Halloween yeah. 2, which I know has been wiped out of it. Like, the way it moves, just the way, like, the, the shot of him kind of, like, half hiding behind the bush mm-hmm. when he sees Lonnie. Yep. And just, like, the shocking violence, like, when he comes rushing out of yeah. the um, side door and attacks, like, the deputy. Like, it works really, really well. Um, I even like the portrayal of Loomis right here. I love that we have, uh, was it a, one of the crew members, Tom Jones Sr., mm-hmm. happened to kind of resemble Donald Pleasance. So instead of having to do CGI and recreate Dr. Loomis, you have like this person with a little bit of makeup. I, I looked at that. I'm like, oh, my God, they recreated Donald I, Pleasance with CGI. Like it looked yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I was like, "Wow, they've really made a big That's leap since, <laughs> since Rogue One," you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, resurrecting uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. But um, it, it, it was it was just like, but then to find out later that it was prosthetics, it was like, "This is so much better than that." Yeah. Game. So to yeah. me, if this whole movie took place in 1978, I would so be on board for it. If it was like bookended by Cameron finding Hawkins and then you have like some sort of epilogue in the present sure. day that sets up Halloween ends in some way. Yeah. I would have a hundred percent have been fined with like the search for Michael Myers in 1978 being the middle the chapter of this trilogy. Like I was on That's board with that. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. That's really I, interesting. Because mm-hmm. I just was so in love with those first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I ultimately, I do agree with what you're saying, Michelle. Like, it, 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 it's cool, but what does it really do? If anything, you can argue with the second flashback that it muddies the message of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when Hawkins, when you go back and find out that Hawkins, like, prevented Loomis from killing Michael. Yeah. And then the regret. We'll talk more about that when we talk about that whole evil dies tonight hospital sequence. Mm-hmm. But I think it, if anything, it convolutes whatever message this movie is trying to do, and ultimately serves as like taking a ninety-minute movie and bumping it up to a one-hour and fifty-minute movie, mm-hmm. which starts to feel really stretched out by that point. Well, now that I'm thinking about it. Um... Again, I think you have to look at all three of these movies together now um, as a mm-hmm. continual story. I mean, when you're thinking about um, Laurie and um, Hawkins and Inns, I mean, that's... The, I guess that's, I guess maybe that was kind of needed for his for his story for his to mm-hmm. him to get closer to Lori and how would you say that like what makes you say that well they kind of you get, they kind of end up together at the end uh, it seems like with the cherry blossoms <laughs> sure sure yeah. um i don't know I'm, I'm sorry i'm talking as i'm i'm thinking so i don't really have anything okay. <laughs> coherent coming out yet well, I, I, mean, I agree with your larger point. Like you, it's we're trying to evaluate this movie on its own. When like, there's more like to the Halloween story kills. later, 
yeah. when you have to look at what came before it, how does it continue that story, and then how does it serve as the middle story when there's one that comes after yeah. it. So it is, it's sometimes difficult to, and like we usually do sequels, the sequels are usually standalone. Yeah. Yeah. And this one right? was not intended to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was something that his character had to go through to get him closer to Lori to, you know, bring them both mm-hmm. to the hap- their happy endings. Sure. <laughs> that they kind of needed. That they both deserved. Spoiler for those who have Sorry. Right now. I haven't seen Halloween <laughs> ends. Well, that's your own fault, listener. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Peacock. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the other thing that this film introduces or this like introduction introduces wow that was awkward what? Again? the idea of like the i like one the idea of like michael on a play date like when one of the deputies is like oh yeah i used to go to his house my mom would make me go over and play with him and he was a weird kid i'm like the <laughs> like little michael myers having a play date is so weird to me like they have maybe their star wars action figures and you know who gets to play with what um michael just staring the I- whole time yeah, not saying anything. Like, what is, what is the thing well, about like Judith Myers' window being like what he would look out all the time for some reason? And I think that it actually, that's one of the weird things that, that I don't know if that really fits in, and it's it sort of tries to fit into the first movie, um, because I think the idea of Michael on a play date fits into the first movie because Michael's just Michael before Mm -hmm. that Halloween night, then um, for him to have spent all that time before that, before he was six, you know, staring out the window is just kind of like, doesn't that undermine the shocking opening of Halloween where we see, oh my gosh, it's just this little kid. Mm -hmm. And because Michael, there's not, I don't think there's any sense from, you know, like the parents' reaction, from Judas' reaction, from anybody in that opening sequence of Halloween that there's anything weird about this kid at all. Right. Hmm. You know, and I think that's the point. I think the point is, it's like all of a sudden this kid just evil invaded, you know, mm-hmm. and he became this killer. Uh, and, and so for him to have some sort of weird motive, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I think that, it's trying to explain something and <laughs> that might be better left unexplained. Yeah. Cause when I go back to Carpenter's Halloween and the reveal that, Oh my God, it's like a six year old boy behind that mask. I think of how that crane shot pulls up and mm-hmm. they like the parents don't look shocked. They don't look angry. Like m- the mother literally just like puts her hands in her like, coat pockets and looks aggravated like they have no idea what there's no like oh my god what has our kid done it's more like oh god like michael come on why are you outside go to bed they have no idea what's in store for them when they get in the home Mm -hmm. and this undercuts it a little bit and then it's like oh he was always this real weird little bugger um the other thing this scene does when it ends like and it kind of ends on that it almost looks like a diorama, like where you have like all the cops pointing the guns at Michael and it's not yeah. freeze frame, but it is free. Like nobody mm-hmm. is moving. 
like one it's, thing a, it's a little bit like that i think it's supposed mm-hmm. to evoke that mm-hmm. shot from the from the yeah, opening shot of, of, of halloween where things are just like a tableau Still, yeah you know which wouldn't be in real in real life you're in a movie of course so that pullback is that happens there i think is supposed to draw us back to the what happened in the first movie and it also reminded me of that shot in Rob Zombie's Halloween when young Michael is arrested and they have like mm. yes. all of the cops and the reporters and the EMTs at the Myers home and he's in the car. And once again, like everything is frozen. So again, it's like David Gordon Green with his movie saying, we're going to do our own thing and ignore everything else, except they do borrow creatively and storyline wise liberally from the other entries in this franchise which to me is a weird we're going to forget about everything except we're really not we're going to have a whole stream of callbacks and reminders and visual cues to everything that has come Mm -hmm. before it this one i noticed this time kind of has a lot of that um where stuff said kind of casually in the beginning comes back later on in the movie uh, like what you were just saying about Michael, you know, standing um, at the window of his, in his sister's room. You know, Frank has a little thing about that at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. where he says that you know he would we thought he would stand there and kind of like stare out over Haddonfield, but maybe he was really just looking in. He was looking at himself, and mm-hmm. you know, which of course is a metaphor of like you know. Got a looking inward on yourself, and maybe that he saw mm-hmm. nothing, and that's maybe kind of what caused him to to be what he become. And like, we mm-hmm. have to often we have to look inside of ourselves to understand things more than looking out. Sometimes, mm-hmm. it actually kind of makes me think of something that Carpenter was kind of fond is kind of fond of saying. Uh, you have couple of different kinds of horror movies and he did both i mean you have halloween which is uh, the the threat is out there the evil is out there and then you have movies like the fog and the thing where it's like i've seen the enemy and it is us Mm -hmm. the evil is within us um and i think this movie is trying to turn it from the evil is out there to the evil is in here and that and that is followed through much more in halloween ends yeah, I would say how the overall theme of this movie and Halloween ends is how evil tends to permeate things. Yeah. That it tends to have like these creeping tendrils that affect everything that it touches unless you're constantly vigilant. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about Michael and this. I had it saved for another section, but I think we're kind of already there. And let's talk about him while my voice holds up. So Yeah, you bet. yeah. <laughs> um I'm interested in discussing like how Halloween Kills depicts Michael and how others see him versus his depiction in 2018. Because I do feel one of the flaws of this trilogy is it seems to vacillate greatly between the three movies on how it sees Michael. The original idea of David Gordon Green and McBride, Danny McBride's requel was we're going back to it being the shape. He's a human. He's a man. And we're going to get rid of a lot of the supernatural elements to him. And he's just going to be the shape once again. And they, I think, did that pretty effectively in 2018 
with him like not being obsessed with Laurie per se. Mm -hmm. I love the killing sequences in 2018 because to me, I think I described them on the show we did way back in 2019 now is it's Michael being locked up for 40 years and then making up for lost time. Mm-hmm. Like when he that that extended take of going house to house to house, and I loved that. Here, and Michelle, maybe this is a good point. Talk about like Laurie's <coughs> speech at the end of this movie and what it says about Michael, because I think it really kind of bollockses the depiction of him. Well, I just don't like what I don't like about that speech is that uh, I don't think it was anything that needed to be said. You know, so show us, don't tell us kind of thing it seemed just seemed very corny but um in terms of how michael's depicted i i don't know i kind of got from this one that he was more representative of something than just being michael myers like he was like he's always Mm -hmm. been like just representative of fear and evil and this was just a different um part of that that they were looking at you know in this movie um, what she says, I, I wrote down a little bit of what she says, even though I was like, this is corny and dumb. It's like, it, it is the essence of evil, you know, the anger that divides us. So she's talking about like what goes on in the movie with the mob and them, them going after the wrong guy and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think he's just more kind of representative of people needing um, something to focus on, something to fight when they have that fear, you know, inside of them. They need... Um, because uh, fear and evil are kind of intertwined in a way where mm-hmm. one, you know, um, evil needs fear, you know, to to feed and be get power and be stronger. And, you know, fear sometimes lets evil occur, like what the mob does when they go after the wrong guy or when they they're just so into their fear that um, they'll see evil in whatever is most convenient. I think that's really what it is. So I think Michael mm-hmm. being depicted as so much more just so unstoppable. Um, I don't know. Because um, she says, too, that um, he he's, the more he kills, the more he becomes uh, what is impossible to defeat, fear. He transcends. He transcends. <laughs> Which, to me, like, it gummies up the works of what they were going for in 2018 and what the kind of Michael they wanted to depict. Like, all of a sudden, you know, not only are they going back to the Michael you see in, say, part four, part five, part six, but also, like, adding this extra layer of, you know, extraneous philosophy that you don't necessarily need to have. Like, it it just adds a layer to him that I don't think you need. I just kind of see them as... I don't know how I was watching like all three of these movies now mm-hmm. is that they were just using uh, Michael and Laurie's story, you know, to talk mm-hmm. about these things in different ways, like fear and evil and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, these movies like possibly, you know, could have been about anybody. And maybe that's why people, mm-hmm. I think that's why they didn't really like ends as much because obviously Michael is not in it a whole lot, but I think they were, they were trying to do something else. They were trying to um, explore something a little bit deeper that 
um, I think people will come to appreciate <laughs> more much later. So, I mean, that's how I kind of look at all these movies and not so much as Michael Myers and Halloween stories, but as what the ideas that they're trying to explore sure. and like the different ways they're presenting them in all three of the movies. I think the philosophizing of that speech uh, is sort of like, it's not that far removed from Dr. Loomis's speeches in exactly. the first two movies. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I just don't think that um, <laughs> McBride and, and, and Green are necessarily able to articulate it in, the, in a way that Carpenter <laughs> was. Because um, by all accounts, Carpenter is the one who wrote those speeches for mm-hmm. Dr. Loomis. And he was really, because I, th- I do think Carpenter was talking about something that was beyond a man. I mean, something yeah. that was the, an essence of evil, because that's why Dr. Loomis always calls him it, always says, you know, it, the evil, this or that, um, rather than Michael. You know, <laughs> he. Th- th- I think the idea of it being the shape is actually... Probably truer in this one uh, yeah. than maybe the 2018 version, where he is can, thought of by the town at least, whether it's thought of by the movie this way or not, as just a man. You know, uh, is, if that makes sense. I, I'm just th- thinking they're trying. It I get seems what you're to saying, me, yeah. it seems to me like they're trying to get some of that essence of evil idea into this, and. Uh, the idea of him, you know, the more he kills, the more powerful he becomes. It makes me a little feel a little bit like, you know, like... Freddy, Freddy Krueger <laughs> absorbing the souls of the children. Like I said, I don't, I don't, like, I don't take that you know. literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, well, I, I was take... just thinking as as we're talking about it. To be fair, like Laurie Strode's character was like on a lot of heavy pain medication <laughs> as she's making the speech. So Michael, he's like, he transcends. Her, yeah. She's <laughs> like, well, with Lori too, Lori's just so, she's so convinced it's all about her. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the idea that the movie presents that I like a lot, that it carries over from the first movie. is like, no, it has nothing to do with you. Right. This guy just, saw you drop a key off and he decided to come after you that night and he didn't remember who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, Dr. And, you know, there. Yeah. yeah. It was Sartain that, that was convinced that you two were connected. And yes. I remember writing a, a piece on Halloween too. And people were saying, that's what's wrong with the new trilogy is that they're not brother and sister because it doesn't make any sense for her to go after, for him to go after her. And I'm kind of like, it's kind of the point though. Right. It, 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 the point of these of this trilogy is that evil or fear or trauma or you know whatever Michael represents, uh, which I think he represents a lot of things. I don't think yeah. there's one specific thing that you can say Michael is trauma or whatever. I, I think Michael's a lot of things, but it's like it doesn't care exactly who mm-hmm. you are. It doesn't remember who you are. It's it's mm-hmm. a force. You know, and, and, and so. I think that's the thing that applies to us, even if you're not Michael Myers. Like I talk to yeah. this with kids a lot because um, like one of the things in my role as like a school counselor is I talk to middle schoolers about bullying a lot. Like I present mm-hmm. lessons on it and I tell kids like and I'm again, this is a weird little tangent, 
I tell kids like, look, I deal with a lot of adults and what a lot of adults talk to me about in my job is things that happened to them when they were your age. And a lot of the things that happened to them at your age really affected them years later. And you may say or do something to someone today that by tomorrow you've forgotten about. It's just like a mean comment you made. Or They'll like, remember yeah. for the rest you of their like lives. punch someone. <laughs> but to those, like it sticks with those kids for years and it builds and builds and builds long after you have forgotten about it. Now, obviously, the things that Michael Meyer does... Myers does as a character are a lot more uh, extreme than just, you know, name calling someone or telling a your mama joke over and over again to a right. sixth grader. Yeah. But to your point, like he is very much like the like in some ways, like John Carpenter's Halloween is a loose remake of Jaws in that oh, totally. yeah. the mm-hmm. shape is just this like force of nature that is traveling yep. throughout Haddonfield, swallowing up everything in its wake. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I've I think you you do a every time that you do something that alters the ending of the original Halloween, you you kind of detract from the theme of what Michael is a little mm-hmm. bit because I think Michael, yeah. it's almost like his body disappears because now he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. At the end of that movie, that's the way I feel about it. Because I mean, you, his breathing is all in the different locations and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's always that's the way I inter- in, interpret that ending. If there are no sequels, um, but if you, but if he's a, if there's you know any type of sequel, whether it's a forty years later or, or you know three, you know it, it's it's humanizing him again. You know, sure. And and so it may it just changes it makes that theme more difficult to uh, to sustain, and I think that is one of the problems, or not I don't know if it's a problem maybe it's a problem I don't know <laughs> that this movie has to grapple with at least is the what? fact that it's trying to that. hold on to that theme, but it has to present it as this is still a human being going on, and it's it's I find that interesting and kind of tough because i mean like obviously how many times has he been subjected to something that would kill a normal man Mm -hmm. even by the end of this movie it's just like it's it's crazy He's, he's, he's something other than merely human yeah at this point i think it kind of has that at the end of this one a little bit like when he's supposedly being like um the, the the mob is beating him up and then he, he goes after them and then he just kind of shows up to to kill Karen at the end so it, it kind of has right yeah it kind of has that at the end where he's he can be anywhere now I don't know I haven't thought I'm so. just saying Sorry. it's, it's <laughs> difficult to it's something that the, that the movies the series has a whole has to kind of grapple with yeah. and 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 be creative about and try and sustain for a long time over three movies so. this this particular trilogy owes a lot thematically to Dennis Etchison's unused script for Halloween 4, yeah. which, listeners, if you remember, we did a dramatic reenactment of, I think, in 2020. Yep. Um, I would suggest reading the script on its own rather than rely on our <laughs> reading because it does go off the rails very quickly. Um But but Etchison's idea was after the events of the first two Halloween movies, Haddonfield has been permanently scarred by it. 
And I, even though Michael Myers mm-hmm. is no longer physically around, his ethereal presence hangs over Haddonfield in ways that still affect them like a decade later. And I think one of the things that this trilogy of movies attempts to do is wrestle with this highbrow concept of can tragic events that have happened decades prior have a lasting scar over a place? Mm-hmm. And I especially see that with the next movie, and I think we'll talk about that a lot next week. I would suggest recutting this trilogy in such a way where that theme is more coherent and flows better throughout the three movies. But you do see a town in Halloween Kills for the first time wrestling with that legacy. Because it feels Mm -hmm. like Michael has been put in the back burner. It's one of those like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And that they can't even get her name yeah. right, yeah. Laura Stropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but there's still those legacy characters that are yes, still around. That are that, around. That the reminders mm-hmm. of it. I do want to say the physical performance of Michael is outstanding. Yeah. Like, I yeah. have nothing but flowers to throw at James Jude Courtney for his <laughs> portrayal of the shape, because he is outstanding in all three movies with the way he moves like it does feel much more as much as i do enjoy a lot of the sequels Mm -hmm. uh especially part four and part six a lot of the times it doesn't really feel like michael myers it just feels like a guy in a mask he's a stunt person Mm -hmm. this feels like a real performance that was studied that goes back to like what nick castle uh did in part one and I think it's Dick Warlock in part, part two. two, their portrayal of the shape where that feels really terrifying and very inhuman. Mm-hmm. You get that with James Jude Courtney. But what you get is the added the added benefit of his performance of like 40 years of pent up violence <laughs> all coming out over the course of one night. Yeah. Like he is making up for time and you feel that in his performance. And I really love that in James Jude Courtney's performance. His moves are so deliberate. It's scary. And just right off the bat with a firefighter sequence, I mean, he's just pissed off and he's gonna go off. And that sequence is just like, whoa. I mean, that's, that's a, you kind of get, the idea of what you're in for with that scene. Yeah. You know, that, like, oh, that this is one's going to be a little bit different than 2018. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. H- Halloween kills and yeah. kills and kills kind of thing. Yeah. The and one that really amusing. got to me was, um, sorry, um, was Sandra and her husband. That scene really got to me this time mm-hmm. when yeah. he's like laying on the counter and he's just the, her husband. Yeah. I don't know what his name was. And Michael just grabs a knife, stabs him, grabs another knife, stab. Like I was saying, like the moves in that being like so deliberate and like obviously like no expression, no, uh, not even any really enjoyment of it. Like that, that's just what he does. That's what he has to do. It's right. ugh, that was intense. And her having to watch it. You know, obviously, we see her come back yep. later in in ends. Which was stunning I know. in Hollow to see her come back, and I'm like, yeah. "Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I had she forgotten. Had I had forgotten for a second. I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. her? She lived." 
Yeah. That was, yeah. Knock me over. <laughs> so I would say, like, the kills in this movie, as we kind of transition away from Michael, and we'll talk about some of the other characters here in a moment, but the, if you just want a slasher movie that delivers uh-huh. pure brutality, I don't know if I've seen a slasher outside of, like, Terrifier, which is just, like, ridiculous. Um, I don't think I've seen, like, a slasher that delivers a more brutal set of brutal kills. It does harken back a bit to what Rob Zombie does, where Mm -hmm. I don't think he glorifies violence in any way. I think he makes you really feel it, and to your point, Mm -hmm. when uh, Phil, played by Lenny Clark, when he's just, like, bent over... And getting like basically being treated like a pin cushion while his wife like bleeds out and watches mm-hmm. like that is it's shocking and it's thumbs in the eyes piece of filmmaking. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, um, well, there's there's even there was one like funny one that I still kind of like <laughs> Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Where she Vanessa. shoots herself, she in, shoots the herself face. in the face. Yeah. I can't help but laugh yeah. at that. <laughs> That's horrible, but <laughs> it's funny. Why do you think the firefighting scene is so divisive? Because I've seen that as one of the one of the marks against the movie. What people say, like, "Well, this is just yeah." I don't. That's like one of the best life. scenes. I agree. Okay. Weird. Yeah, I I, I hadn't. I don't know. That, yeah, I hadn't either. Except ex- except from from you know like <laughs> right wingers saying, "Oh, this." You know, this disrespect towards firefighters or whatever, but oh that, that's a different story. Um, but uh, from like horror fans, I hadn't heard that yet. Okay. So um, I had heard like people yeah. like, oh, this is ridiculous. It's like too many kills all at once. Oh, Who okay. cares? It was cool. Things <laughs> like that. Yeah. It, it's not how Michael acts or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, man, give me a Michael Myers coming out of a burning home and using like some sort of what, I don't know what that chainsaw type device is called, oh, gosh. but, it looked like the Fucking Jaws of Life type of thing on. that they use to mm-hmm. give people out of car yeah. accidents. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think yeah. so. <laughs> oh, man. So in this movie, we have a number of returning characters. And mm-hmm. I do think one of the knocks against this movie is the way that they're used. Yeah, yeah I was thinking what about that. You're getting, yeah, what you're getting by and large is like all these legacy characters from John Carpenter's film. And like, really, where is, where is Ben Tramer? In this movie, <laughs> never see or hear. He's, he's mentioned. mentioned. He's mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so um, you like? He must have got out of town. He was able to escape town. He yeah. was able to escape. But <laughs> yeah. Well, what you? What I think you see are these characters. Like Tommy feels like he's trapped in Haddonfield more than any of the other characters. Yeah. And he's just. He sounds like a dock worker. You know, like he just sounds yeah. like super. I don't know another way to describe it. Um, it's hard to kind of differentiate between Lonnie and Tommy, except that I do like that Lonnie turns out to be a really good dad. I love Lonnie. Um, yeah, I think he's great in this. Lonnie is one of our favorite guys. Yeah. Yeah. And say, yeah. Um, so, Robert Longstreet, one of our favorite, uh, Mike Flanagan he's guys. He's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's terrific. And he's in, I love him in Midnight Mass. Yeah. Like he's a Best delight character whenever in he Mass. turns up. Yeah. How do we feel about this? How do we feel about how these characters are used here and are they underserved? I think Nurse Chambers is the one that sort of pisses me off the most. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, Lindsay, because I, yeah. I like that Lindsay survives, but 
good lord let her do something you know that's one of the things that bothers me but i i i think the nurse chambers one essentially she gets to recreate the scene from the first halloween (laughs) and 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 get killed at the end of it yeah instead of escaping and it's just kind of like i i don't know it's It's like why don't they get dr loomis and shooting (laughs) yeah and 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 having it be empty and it's just like really you know she doesn't she it doesn't feel like she really it it felt like like when we were talking about texas chainsaw 2022 um that was the one that felt most like the sally hardesty thing Mm -hmm. where it's just like let's just throw you on a pile of garbage you know, I, I I mean maybe it wasn't that literal in this one. Wasn't as egregious, right? Yeah, but and it, I, I mean obviously Sally is. I mean if they had, that's like doing it to Laurie Strode, it, it, you know, obviously that's a much would be the comparable character to Sally. But um, but I don't know. That one just really bugs me. Uh, I I actually I, I I know this is probably kind of, I think that Tommy is actually a kind of an interesting character because he seems conflicted about some things, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. especially when we're getting into the hospital sequence because he realizes he sort of instigated this mob. And then he also, there's some shots of him. It's like, he knows that he screwed up. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's an, a sense of, of him vacillating back and forth, trying to figure out, you know, uh, he has sort of this old school ideal that he should stand up and fight this thing. But at the same time, he knows that he's kind of making it worse. Uh, at the mm-hmm. same time, it seems to me. Um, I think that's fascinating because, like, he is the person that instigates the mob. He does. And essentially, like, the sheriff really should have just, like, been, okay, enough with you. Yeah. You're under arrest for inciting violence, right. and you're going to sleep this one off in the drunk tank. <laughs> yeah. But the sheriff just sits there is like, well, not much I can do right now. And yeah, that's a, Tom- that is a weird interaction that he yeah. doesn't do more than he does. It's it's Tommy's actions that incite this mob where another person is killed and a number of other people are injured as well within yeah. this. Is, and and yeah. really, like Tommy's directly responsible for the death of the other patient mm-hmm. who commits suicide. Mm-hmm. He's also indirectly responsible for the death of Lonnie and Cameron and uh, Karen. Yep. And Brackett. The Sheriff Brackett. The, everybody that gets killed by Michael. Like he's responsible for... You could actually... If you wanted to do a kill count in this movie, you would have a number of people that Michael is directly responsible for versus who Tommy is indirectly responsible for. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying in that, like, there are points where he looks conflicted. Yeah. But even right after that hospital scene. it doesn't scene, make him less responsible. No. I'm just right. saying. But he know, even yeah. goes right back out. As soon as, like, that person dies in the hospital, he's like, well, we're just going to go back out and hit the road at that point. He doesn't learn anything from his mistake. Right. And it contributes not only to his death but also the death of everybody mm-hmm. else that he brings with him in that ragtag mob. Mm. Yeah. He and doesn't I even think, see think... the guy um, over the... Because when they first see the, the patient, the, the other patient that appears, mm-hmm. like, Tommy can't even see him, like, over 
the huge crowd of people, but he just goes, "It's just my, it's Michael. It's got to be." It's him. Even though they, even though they is, know, yeah. even though they know there's two of them, and even though Tommy was mm-hmm. staring straight at the TV <laughs> when that news report came on and showed a picture of both of them mm-hmm. <laughs> of Chesterfield Cobblepot. In the yeah. <laughs> right, right, it's right. like, like so you know what this other guy looks like, and that it's definitely not Michael. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. so. But I yeah, think, he's I he needed Tommy's... that thing to focus on because yeah. there was something there was a danger that he brought back, you know, his stuff from when he was a kid. And he, this was something mm-hmm. that he could focus on to fight to get rid of it once and for all and without mm-hmm. even really thinking that it would, it's the right person. Well, Tommy's biggest and I think this is sort of a thematic element of the, of the whole thing is Tommy's big issue is he gives into the fear mm-hmm. of it all. And he and it just grows and become and spreads and it becomes uncontrollable. I mean, I, I mean, I can't help this. It's a little bit, you know, Yoda, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, right? Um, the, it's the path to the dark side, but it's kind of, I actually knew that works. Oh, there you go. Okay, I've heard that before. Works. It's a Star Wars thing. I knew. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But, but in this case, it it is kind of, um, I mean, I don't think that they were sitting there thinking, oh, we should throw Star Wars in this. But I, there is that sort of sense of of fear to combat fear. It will ultimately be unsuccessful because it will make you what you're trying to destroy. Um, and it, it, it it's... It, but it's unsuccessful, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, you know, why does Michael um, not die here, but die in ends is, is, is a, I mean, that's one of the things that I think is an interesting conversation to have too. Right. So but anyway, I struggle with trying to piece together how these care, like how they try to make these characters work together in terms of, their relationships with one another. Yeah. Tommy and Lonnie and Lindsay, I sort of see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, maybe part of the idea of having that prequel is having Lonnie having an interaction with the shape. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. Lonnie is just a bully in the first movie that's never really encountered Michael before. So you kind of have to have that. But even then, like Lonnie has like literally a 10 second interaction with Michael 40 years ago, Tommy and Lindsay have maybe two minutes on screen with Michael. Like they pretty much they're they hide in a closet and then run past him. And yet 40 years later, it has become like the defining moment in their lives. And they're getting together every Halloween to drink and to toast and talk about it. And how do they know nurse Mary? Like the nurse nurse, um, Nurse Marion, she lived like a hundred miles away. Like, like Smith's Grove is I'm not. Sure. <laughs> near yeah, I was trying to figure out why on earth she moved to Haddonfield. Right? <laughs> so, like, and she's twenty years their senior. Like, she would have known them. Like, did she know them as children? Like, do they have some sort of debriefing? Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why? Yeah all four of them would get together every year to memorialize this and not move past it, especially in the case That's of, like, true. Nurse Mary. Like, she is really the odd... Like, if you left her out of it, 
I probably would think a lot less about this in terms of like, well, how does this really fit together? Yeah. But she really sticks out like a sore thumb, especially given that she's like, and even the thing with like, this is for Dr. Loomis. It's like, you knew Loomis for like one unpleasant car ride. Yeah. Like literally your whole interaction with him was this car ride where he was an asshole to you and really dismissive <laughs> and like, he kind of just left you sitting in the dirt and rain and ran away towards the car. Like, you know, um, so I don't get it. It, it yeah. this to me yeah. is like you were talking before Brian about fan service. Like this to me is fan service, but I don't think it's something the fans are asking for either. It's yeah, fan service. I mean, and then they kill most of them off anyway. Mm-hmm. So like, what was the point of them? <laughs> In the first place. I mean, I definitely, uh, like you said, I understand that what? core three. That core three makes a lot of sense. Lonnie, Tommy, mm-hmm. Lindsay. I'm, yeah. But <laughs> Marion, I mean, if she had been in the movie, but in a linked in some other way, I mean, f- I suppose that could have worked. This feels pretty mm-hmm. forced, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where, again, like, re. I don't know how much of like all three movies were planned ahead of time. I know know. McBride had an idea for two movies. And then I believe these two movies were written concurrently with one another. And I'm sure that, you know, with this time in between kills and ends, they make adjustments, but there are ways to thread all of these characters together in the first movie that allows it to flow much more naturally through all three. I think when you're like, kind of like dropped into the middle of the characters are dropped into the middle of the second movie without a lot of context. It becomes really Mm -hmm. hard to kind of fit them together. Well, one Um, question I wanted to ask mm -hmm. because I, I haven't seen the 2018 movie in a while, but in this first scene with Vanessa and Marcus, Mm -hmm. um, they bring up Marcus's boss, Dr. Mathis. Mm hmm. Was he in? Was he mentioned in the 2018 one, or was this like the a drop for you know his character and ends? I think it's just a drop. I think it's just a drop okay. in there. I know that they're the couple that like are going towards their car when yeah. Michael yeah. is on his killing yeah, spree, he, and then yeah. But he but he just mentions but, Dr. Mathis, who's becomes a big character mm-hmm. in ends. So I I couldn't remember if he. Showed up in the the first one because I just like oh that's cool you know they they mentioned not that I remember yeah not that I remember (laughs) Um, the one thing about Lindsay I do think she gets the best sequence yes of them I love yeah that park sequence where you get like Michael stalking her Mm -hmm. and moving on like that to me is a genuinely frightening especially when she sees the two kids in the swing. And it's like, oh, yeah, and there's this dude in a white mask trying to scare us. And then they realize, is he holding a severed head? Like, Is the, <laughs> is the head in that mask? Is... So yeah. this is a movie that goes there. It is not afraid to kill young, bullying, bratty, fucked up children, which, <laughs> yay, Michael. I love that's a, a great sequence Those kids are annoying. with Lindsay hiding. Oh, yeah. And her yeah, being uh, proactive. In general. Yeah. Her being proactive, yeah, like sc- getting the, the pillowcase and filling it with bricks mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. She's very cool in that scene. <laughs> I, 
I didn't have anything else. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, I, I was just saying. I, I think I think she's as far as the legacy characters goes. I think she's actually my favorite. Mm-hmm. And um, though I again, I, I wish it's it's I wish that they continued that a little bit. You know, gave her mm-hmm. something more to do after that one very cool little section. You know, she kind of yeah. gets lost after that. Um, even right. in, even in ends, I mean, her role is so minimal in 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 that one as well yeah she's a tarot card reader yeah that's about it yeah it's about it Mm -hmm. seems like there's a lot more to her that could have been explored whereas tommy seemed like the kind of the 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 leader the showman of the group like whenever Mm -hmm. he's up on stage and he introduces all of them Lindsay's kind of shies away from it like when you know he says her name and you know why yeah, you know, what her connection to Michael is like? She's, she's just doing it um, out of loyalty, maybe, and maybe sure. she is one of the ones that wants to kind of move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So we got to talk about it. We got to talk about. I think where this movie really divides fandom and the people that don't, who come down hard in this movie, come down hard in this aspect. We got to talk about. The evil dies tonight of it all. And this mob, the mob mentality. And Michelle, you had started <laughs> to talk before um, about why you think this works or how it differentiates kills from other slashers. Well, yeah, like um, there's a lot less one on one kills with the killer and his victim in this. And like one of the scenes that I really liked while I was watching this for the first time was when Vanessa and Marcus go out to their car, you know, right outside the bar and they think Michael is in the car. And normally that would be like just something that, you know, the couple would do like by themselves, but no, like she runs back into the bar, tells everybody like, Hey, we're not going to do this alone. This is dumb. (laughs) We need more Mm -hmm. people. I thought that was really smart. I was like, more people will probably do something like that than go and investigate it themselves. You know, there is the scene with um, the the two best characters in the movie, uh, Big John and Little John. Um, <laughs> I can't believe we haven't brought them up yet. And, oh, that's a whole section. <laughs> Why and don't we then, hold off on them? Just no, for I was a just saying. Let's hold off on them for just. A- no, I was just saying that that's one of the the one on one like kind of stalking mm-hmm. scenes, and with uh, Sandra and her husband. Yeah, but all the rest of them are there's there's like more than one person like involved in, right. in this scene, which is very different from most slasher mm-hmm. movies. I kind of like seeing that. And that definitely goes along with the whole um, mob element of, yeah. of the movie. In the mob element here, I don't know quite what this movie is trying to say. I mean, I'm not sure what the point of view that it's coming down. It looks like, yes, it shows like everybody is really quick to, incite violence like it just takes a small spark for violence to happen how f- how fast fear spreads and right how powerful and, and it i think get. that's exactly it and not even fear it's almost like let's just go along with it to get along at this point like there's mm-hmm. almost like this rush of excitement that happens because by and large like the persons in the bar weren't affected at all by michael myers most of them had never heard of him before 
they were or he was just this urban legend this boogeyman that like parents would tell but they had no direct encounters or experience with him and i think you do see in the hospital the persons that are the quickest to want to act out are ones that he'd either been directly impacted by michael 40 years ago or were impacted by him that night um but it just you show it get out of control very quickly. But I'm not quite sure what it's trying to say about mob mentality overall. I think um, there's. I know I don't want to jump too far. I know we we want to talk about Karen in particular, but I think Karen. Uh, no, it's a, she, it's a good she, spot to do some she, of that. She encapsulates it a little bit because after um, the other inmate kills himself, she uh, she and. Tommy's like about to go off and do it again. And he, and she's kind of yelling at him and says, you know, this led to all this going down and Mm -hmm. this innocent Mm -hmm. man kills himself and says, fuck it. None of us are innocent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big key to just kind of what this movie is trying to get at uh, is, is just that there's this, um, this potential, I suppose for, (laughs) evil um if if that's the word you know this potential for spinning out of control um within really anybody and i i think i think that's kind of what the message on the mob mentality thing mm-hmm. is i think it also takes its cue from the original halloween 2 when they're at the myers house and they're all throwing rocks at the Mm-hmm. At the Myers house, you know, the, you know, one sure. of their one in of their Halloween. own has been killed. This is a wake, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. In Halloween four, when you have like the patrons at the bar hunt Michael down. And again, that goes down back to like, we're going to ignore all of these other movies, but we're going to like really borrow heavily from them as well. I, I kind of feel like this idea of like of, of the filmmakers saying, well, we're all evil after all, like we all have it in us and. No one is really above it. I kind of feel like that the way I do about like the way Michael Haneke does uh, funny games sure. where he creates this like hyper violent movie that doesn't shy away from very realistic, uncomfortable violence. But as he does it, he chastises the audience. Sure. Like, he's yeah. wagging mm-hmm. his finger at the audience the whole time. Like, how dare you, sirs and madams, like want the kind of movie like this where now I'm forced to make it. And I just kind of feel like that is it, it just reeks of having your head up your own ass and, and thinking <laughs> your farts smell like noises. Um, the other thing that cons- convolutes the message is getting back to, you know, um, Will Patton's like Frank uh, telling Lori, I should have killed him years ago. Like, ostensibly, mm-hmm. like his character in 1978 did the right thing. Yeah. Like, he prevented, like, Michael was subdued. He wasn't posing a threat. And he prevented Dr. Loomis from killing him in cold blood. Which, in theory, is the way that we would want law enforcement to act. And all too often, they don't act like that, which is why law enforcement is terrifying and really needs to be reformed, right? But then what he says in Halloween Kills is, I should have let Loomis kill him. 
we right. should have just ripped him apart. And like, that's not the way that justice is supposed to work. Exactly. So what yeah. kind of mm-hmm. message are we sending here? Like he's sending a very, it's a very mixed message mm-hmm. that's prevented by the film. Oh. Well, something that Karen also says to that patient when, um, you know, she's saying that, you know, she's going to protect him and not going to let them. I know, won't let them hurt you. When, you know, she says that, yeah, that guy's obviously afraid and he says well she says that well yeah they're afraid too mm-hmm. that's what kind of got that's what um i i see in the in this that it's just that there there is this fear there is a threat not just to individual people but to the whole community you know like when they're watching on the news like that's 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 on my street that's ne- that's right next door to my house you know this this could happen to, to any of us and so the f- the fear causes the mob to find something that they can put down <laughs> to mm-hmm. to stop it and to protect themselves and that's what i don't know that's mostly what i what i got from yeah what the what mob you're saying there meant. what is your count on evil dies tonight, oh that's, yeah yeah like i was the I said I did an evil dies tonight counter while I was watching. Um, I made it up to 22. However, it's like roughly 22. After after the okay. first five, it's mostly from the chanting. So I don't know if that really counts. Mm-hmm. If it's it like if it's like it a rallying it. cry, <laughs> but it's not said for the first time until like 34 minutes in. So I don't know. I just <laughs> but then it just go hard. all they all go I hard heard that. all I heard before I watched this movie was how many times they said it, and then when I actually watched it, I was like, it's it's not really that many times <laughs> unless you count. I don't know the chanting. Twenty two is a lot of times to roughly twenty two. I was also counting like how many times it actually appeared like on the subtitles <laughs> while I was watching the movie. So and they just like use it in. You know, it's almost like it. It's they use it in such an ubiquitous way. It's almost like someone sneezes, and instead of saying "gesundheit," you're like "evil dies tonight." Ah, thank you. It just <laughs> like it's just so ridiculous. Well, blame how it's it on used. blame it on the the your favorite character, Mary, and she's the first one that says it. <laughs> she is the first one to say it. You're right. Did you catch the thing in um, Halloween Ends? The graffiti. Um, while Corey is biking down the road, uh, there's some graffiti that says "Love Lives Today." Oh, gee, I did, did you not. See, did you see that? See that? <laughs> I did not. Was that when like he was like tandem motorcycle riding with Michael? Because no, that's the only just... explanation I have. No, it was just like um, sometime when he was just biking down the road. Like those. I didn't sense. see that. <laughs> I did see the billboard where there was a young woman missing, and her name was Megan. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I caught that. I'm like, that has to be a tip of a cap to <laughs> Megan is missing. And I actually really like that. I'm like, that is yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah, I just think the mob stuff is handled so clumsily and so over the top. And like, even the way, like we, we have barely talked about Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode in this movie. And I think there's a reason for that is because she's so sidelined as a character. She is in this movie like she doesn't have anything to do in this movie of interest but you see her here like very quickly like she embraces the mob very quickly and then it's soon and she's one of as well as tommy one of the catalysts that really 
And she even tells Karen, like, well, the system has failed. And Tommy gets in the sheriff's face and says, you have failed to keep us safe. And the reality is, for 40 years, Haddonfield looks like it was a pretty safe place to live. And it's not Haddonfield that let Michael Myers out again. It's Sartain in, in mm-hmm. Smith's, in Smith's mm-hmm. Grove, like, once again, from 100 miles away, dropping the ball. But Lori very quickly, like, loses control of the mob along with Tommy. And when she realizes it's not him, it's outside of her hands to control the situation at that point. Because she has... She only makes it worse. Because she's fearing, too, that Michael Mm -hmm. is coming after her. Which is understandable, sure. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of letting it overtake her. In a Mm -hmm. different way than she has, you know, like, I think the first movie is Mm -hmm. about, you know, how fear kind of drives your life or controls your life in in a way. And here she's let it kind of go a little bit to to the next level extreme where she's not really thinking. And that's that's another reason why I think that that um, that line that Hawkins has later about, you know, you know, looking through a window, but actually looking back at, at yourself is, mm-hmm. is more important um, than I thought before, just because it's, it's like, no, we need to take a second to, to look inwards and to really think before we act on something like this and go so over the top. We have to think things through a little bit yeah. more before we join that mob and cause more harm than good. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that perspective i just wish that you didn't get this real clumsy handling of like and like the scenes are very visceral and there are a couple moments in there that have some impact like when oscar's mother is running by the Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you see that and then i like the way that's followed up on in halloween ends where she is like she's hung herself yeah like that's one of the things in like one of the voiceovers when they're talking about how the town has been impacted and you see the corpse hanging. Like that was her? Oscar's mom. That's her. Did I miss that? So okay. yeah. that little yeah. through line through the three movies with Oscar, like that's a pretty yeah. subtle and powerful thing. I think she's that having, really yeah, she's really having well. that moment while the mob mm-hmm. and nobody is paying any attention. Right. You know. And no one is there to offer any comfort or any consolation. It's pure anger it's pure hatred which is what uh, that is driving which is what allison i think is representing Mm -hmm. you know in this Mm -hmm. that's actually something i really appreciate about this movie that you don't see in a lot of slashers is that the characters grieve their losses Mm -hmm. often you you know like um you've got karen just sort of you know washing her hands and you know feeling her wedding ring and you know closing the blinds and just crying um you you feel you have you have a lot more of that in this than you usually see uh in in a slasher movie so Mm -hmm. that's another one of the lines that's that's brought back later on that's what karen says to allison when they're talking about her dad Uh, karen says uh he'll always be with us even if we can't see him is what Jamie says in her uh, little speech oh, at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you kind of ruined that. Yeah. 
I think it would have been more accurate to be like, well, your dad was kind of a goober and he won't be missed. I think it would have been a much more. Oh, I love him. He is such a goober. I think he's, I think he's hilarious. Yeah, my, I do like my, that my you find out. My son's favorite line uh, from that movie is, oh, I got peanut butter on my penis. I do like you find out he used to trip balls with Lonnie. I do really like that. Especially when he was like, you want to stay away from Lonnie's kid. Like, those guys are no good. Um, Karen's an interesting character. I I do think that Judy Greer does get underused a bit in the two movies she's in. But I, I do find her overall arc fascinating in that she's someone that who represents like all of her coping mechanisms she's built to deal with like this childhood of having to live with like the poster child mom for the nra like all these mechanisms that she's built to avoid that come crashing down her core belief that the world is not inherently a bad place that people are fundamentally good like that is the core belief that drives her and allows her some level of sanity despite having like a very unhinged person for a mother that comes crashing down like that illusion of safety is lost in one night and really Mm -hmm. over the course of one hour and once that belief is shattered all of the calmness all of the composure it's gone like when she deals with the sheriff in the hospital and she first learns Michael's not dead. She's gone from like, look, this is something that happened to you. We have to deal with it too. It's all about us right now. He's coming after us. Like she's hysterical mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, and her thinking process is completely, it comes on more. It's a really good, I mean, it's Judy Greer. You know, you're going to get a very good performance even yeah when it's not the most to do, but I find that arc, I do find that fascinating to watch. I think she's hysterical in a very proactive way though. <laughs> like she's trying to get people to, um, uh, cause she believes the same thing that, that Laurie does that, you know, he's coming after her, he's coming to the mm-hmm. hospital. So she's trying, she's trying to rally people together in the right way, you know, to protect people, not to go after s- somebody. And she's the one that keeps fighting against them the whole time. Yeah. So I think yeah. uh, I, I get that, but I think she's, I felt like she was the most level headed one of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She is, which is kind of a continuation of the first film as well, because I like that part where she, in the first one where she pretends to be hysterical, you know, and yeah. then all of a sudden gotcha and shoots. She Michael. does it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. She does that same kind of thing in this one. Um, when she leads the leads him to the mob. I was happy uh, to see her Christmas street. sweater yeah. again. Love yeah. that. <laughs> her, her death feels. I was so mad. About nonsensical. Yeah. To me. I was mad at that. <laughs> I didn't think like I, for the purpose of being shocking. Yeah. Like I said, cause I definitely, um, she wasn't exactly my favorite in the first one. Um, I don't know, but, um, seeing her in this one and yeah, feeling like she was the one that was the most level headed and trying to prevent something worse from even happening. And then, uh, yeah. What was the point of, of her getting killed at the end? 
Just why go back into that house? You know, the only what I did, put this in my notes. What, <laughs> the only thing I could think of is like, I smell a book deal, and like <laughs> you could see like her going into the house simply so she could write the lines like, as I looked out through the window where Michael first <laughs> killed, you know, and that's why she would do it. That's there's she no supposedly reason. Supposedly, saw Michael in the window. Like, does she, she really seal bit, anything? Or I don't know. I feel like that. Like I do. Like the whole like um, transference of evil in Halloween Kills. Like I think that's like you're seeing that metaphorically. I, I don't think, so. think she really yeah. sees Michael in there, but she's just picturing like what it would have been like for him to look out that window. She's drawn but to the place. No reason. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she would have been the new Michael Myers <laughs> if she stared out for too long. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Brian, you look lost. I, 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 I don't, I don't know what to add to that. Um, yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta admit, I, I kind of like the <laughs> ending, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I, just I don't like. I don't love. I don't died. love. I don't love that she dies. I mean, obviously, because it's a character I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, having, I think, having Michael suddenly be there uh you know mm-hmm. the evil did not die tonight you know they failed uh in their attempt to do that and um you know she essentially just gets the rage of him you know in that last mm-hmm. in that last moment because well, maybe maybe this movie's ahead of the curve knowing that Karen would soon become synonymous with like bitchy white women. <laughs> I know. And maybe I was thinking that maybe the whole time she was like yelling at the people e- in the hospital. I was like, she's being a Karen. Right? <laughs> when e- when they're saying evil dies tonight, they were really alluding to Karen was going to die later that night. You know, as the evil white woman. I don't know. Maybe oh. we're looking at this evil dies tonight all, all wrong. wrong. Yeah. Um, I thought that too when she was yelling. I know. I was like, hospital, like, oh my god, Karen. she's being a total Karen, Karen right now. <laughs> this is like what an inspired hilarious. name choice. Um, all right, really quick about Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode. Like, we again, for a movie that ignores all of the others that come before it, you have a Laurie Strode who is pretty much laid up unconscious in a hospital bed in the second movie for pretty much the duration of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing about it is, like, I don't know if Jamie Lee Curtis has in her contract, like, every five minutes I'm on screen, I have to do something badass. Whether that is, like, stabbing herself in the buttocks with, like, painkillers. Whether don't it's know what knee- that is. Kneeing, kneeing a rioter in the balls, you know, or whether it's, like, in the extended cut instead of grieving for her daughter who she somehow knows is dead being like i'm coming for you michael and then walking down the hall with like a butcher's knife i am not watching that that just sounds we get it laurie you're you're tough laurie we get it (laughs) how is she like even walking after having surgery on her stomach i'm sorry (laughs) magic of movies it's the power of cinema yeah that is it's not like I you know, it's not Halloween resurrection bad in terms of like how Lori <laughs> is portrayed. But I don't like this. Like I much prefer what we see in H two O in Halloween ends. Mm-hmm. Like a Lori that is scarred from what happened to her, 
but she's moved forward even if she's being vigilant. Yeah. Poster child for the National Rifle Association, Lori Strode. I don't like that Lori, and I yeah. wish we didn't see her in either of these movies. It seems like that part of her is kind of maybe fading away a little bit in this as she's watching how it's affecting everybody else around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. And it is gone by ends. Yeah, And then maybe this movie was a little bit of a break to go into some more of the other characters. Like I found Allison mm-hmm. again, especially after watching ends. Um, I found her character a lot more intriguing in this one too. Cause she seems actually, now that I think about it, Allison in this one, it feels a little bit like Lori in Rob Zombie's Halloween too, <laughs> where mm-hmm. she's just like so angry. Like that's all she's yeah. All that's yeah. all she can really feel right now, mm-hmm. and that's all that's all she needs to just lash out against as something, sure. and that's why she joins the mob. And my favorite and that feels true. <laughs> my favorite line it reading in the whole movie the is her mm-hmm. <laughs> when she, after she finds out that Michael is dead. <laughs> That you just see, there's like a really short, quick cut to her going, "What?" <laughs> the way she says, she finds out he's still alive." The way, yeah. the way that she says, "What?" It just kills me. I love it. That, that's another thing that's kind of weird is the way this movie's edited. This like they'll present a thought in one location and then they'll finish it in another one, mm-hmm. and that that happens a bunch of times. It's like I know where Michael's going. Hawkins says to Laurie, "It's like," and then they cut to Lonnie. He's going home. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> they just know him so like, well. <laughs> I, I I mean it's 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 just it just feels kinda like, okay, this is we're in a movie, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it sort of takes you out of the any sort of sense of reality of it. But you know yeah. um but it is a movie, you know. so of course you're gonna do some of those kinds of things. Um as far as the badassery, that feels like the Danny McBride uh yeah, McBride of it all. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, because his he's obviously he's a comedy writer, uh, so and I and I love his shows. I thought Eastbound and Down was great. I love uh, the Righteous Gemstones, but you can totally hear when it's a line that was written by Danny McBride, mm-hmm. especially if it's like in the third one. You just gotta rip open your shirt and show grief your tits. And, you know that is one hundred percent Danny McBride. Yeah. You know, sounding that like uh, one of his characters. <laughs> um, but you know, hey, um, mm-hmm. and so I think some of that sort of the Lori as a badass thing seems to kind of come from him too. It seems to me. Um, It's just not interesting. It's just to me, you know, it's, it feels like she has to be in this movie contractually, but there's nothing for her to really do. Yeah. And thankfully I I do like what we see in Halloween ends, which Mm -hmm. we'll talk about next week before we wrap up tonight, big John, little John, again, the first kind of queer characters we have in any of the Halloween movies, other and I don't want to say divisive characters, but like the depiction of them has been pretty divisive. Whether it's like there were articles online after this came out, like oh, Michael Myers is not an ally because he kills two no. gay men in this movie, and it's like Michael Myers kills everybody. Like <laughs> yeah. that's kind they were of, in his house. In the job <laughs> description, they're in his house. They're, you know, as far as he's concerned, they're squatters. Um, I. 
I actually really like these characters. I think that like they have like a very sweet relationship. Oh my God. I yeah. love when when they're like when um Big John says like why don't we just get high and like listen to spooky records? Oh, it's tempting. Halloween. I love how they like fuck with the three kids that <laughs> yeah. break into their house. Like they're like, Do you know where you are? Um but you also with their death get the return of playful Michael Myers. Right. In a really affecting scene where you have like the I'm trying to think like don't uh was it I can't remember what song it is now that's playing over on the turntable. Oh, yeah. Don't you remember the way you told me you love me, baby? I think mm-hmm. yeah. Carpenters. Mm-hmm. Something like that. But how they're posed in that same manner yeah. as their picture Just on their switched. mantle. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's the referring of like Michael the trickster. Yep. That's yep. which, you know, obviously is what was so gr- some of those iconic moments from the original, you know, Michael tilting his head, you know, when he mm-hmm. stabs or putting Judith, his sister's tombstone, you know, over the top of Annie's bed, you know, over a corpse and everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts of just kind of showing their relationship was actually when you know they realize that somebody's in the house and they're both kind of like going in opposite directions but they keep saying each other's name they keep going like mm-hmm. big john little john just to kind of like check in yeah. on each other like every minute or so to make sure that they're okay you know <laughs> i thought that was so sweet i loved that little touch yeah i like that they bought this house <laughs> and fully embraced and they have fully embraced Halloween. Like, they've decorated. They've done it up. They're yeah. in costume. Like, they're like, fuck yeah, we bought a murder house. We're going to do it up for Halloween. Because I feel like that's what I would do if I bought a murder house. Yeah. Like, I would sure. fully embrace the season. What I want to know is where they got such a nice copy of uh, John Cassavetti's Minnie and Moskowitz. Because I am trying <laughs> to track down that movie and... Uh, I cost, watched cost, it on YouTube, I think. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they were not watching it on YouTube. <laughs> it, is, it is house porn, too, because that house is I gorgeous. know. Yeah, I love that, I'm like, what they do that. The way they decorated it, the dark green. I love the dark green motif in their bedroom, especially. Mm. I was like, they know they know what they're doing, interior decorating-wise. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. That like tree sculpture on the wall is very cool. <laughs> yeah, I re- just really quickly returning to like their death and the way they're posed. Like I've always had this like slight reading of of Michael. He doesn't quite get what he's doing to him all because he only kills in Halloween, and these are all tricks. Mm-hmm. Like him, like oh, I'm going to play a trick by like killing you and then posing you like you are in this picture i'm going to kill all of laurie's friends and then when she finds them like they're going to be posed like you know my sister and they're going to the dead bodies are going to pop out it's almost like there is that playful side to michael that doesn't quite comprehend what he's doing mm-hmm. is evil like this is his version of the halloween trick so yeah it's probably not an accurate reading but i've always read it that i hadn't thought bit. of that that's cool Last thing I've got before we wrap up for the night, John Carpenter returns again with his son, Cody. 
Um, I thought the score to 2018's Halloween was fantastic. Mm -hmm. There were some, like, the shape returns or the shape kills again added some really great new iconic pieces of music mm-hmm. um, to his repertoire. And it's awesome seeing Carpenter come back yeah. to score these movies. How do you both feel about his score for kills? I, I love the power that they add to the main theme with the electric guitar and mm-hmm. stuff. I think that is really effective. I know that was in the first one too, but I think um, just, you know, working with, you know, obviously his son and then the friend as well. I, that's just is a, that little power trio that they've created mm-hmm. uh, is really doing something that takes what everyone is, what's so iconic and everyone loves about John Carpenter scores, especially the Halloween score and just sort of ramps it up a little bit and makes it a little bit more modern. And I love that. Uh, I, I think that's, it, it kind of keeps that classic, you know, from the first film, you know, that timeless acoustic piano sound, even though it's a keyboard, of course, mm-hmm. and just adds in more elements of that. Um, whereas, in, and I, I like the Alan, Alan Howard score, you know, sort of redo for Halloween 2, but he'd sort of, sort of, it dates a little bit because it has that very electronic kind of sound. Yeah. This, I think, feels more like the first score where it's, got a little more timeless quality to it. And I really like that. But it's more muscular. It it, it is, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of power behind it. I really really dig that. Seeing um, Halloween ends in the theater, you know, when the closing credits come on and it's just that theme with that, Mm -hmm. you know, power. It's just like, it's it's awesome. It's really intense. I love it. Yeah. I I don't think that you get a lot of like new music in this movie in terms of like new iconic themes. There the doesn't only... even seem to be a lot of like new music in it. It feels mm-hmm. like a lot of his older themes are just revisited sure. and then punched up. Like I, my favorite piece of music in the Halloween movies is like the shape stocks, like the dunk, mm-hmm. dunk, yeah, dunk mm-hmm. that. And that is done like really well here, especially yeah. in the opening 15 minutes the way it revisits like Laurie's theme as well throughout this movie like they're recognizable but just reshaped enough to kind of give it a new new twist on things yeah the the only one that sounded that I picked up as sounding like new material to me is the scene with the uh, the guy committing suicide Uh, there's sort of Mm -hmm. this sad sort of re- uh, repetitive melody that's played with yeah. the chords. You know, I mean, Carpenter's so good at filling in the chords in different ways under the same mm-hmm. melody. Uh, and I think that is really beautiful and really sad. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's the only piece that I picked out uh, consciously as being something I hadn't heard before. So, yeah. All right. What are our final thoughts, folks? Well, I had a question of... Sure. What did you think about, you know, because for this new trilogy, they try to do something a little bit different with uh, the pumpkin during the opening credits. Mm -hmm. What did you think about this one? Or it was just like the pumpkins on fire. (laughs) I liked it, especially with the fireman scene. I like all the opening. Yeah. I really like. I liked the the one. The one one that ends is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think it works because you have Lori's house burning to the ground. So I think that does really work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. You know, and then the cool. I, idea of, like, lighting a match and causing a, 
a riot as well because that's an image ah. it's often you, you talk about riots like you think of like striking the match that sure. lights the flames like i think that does work really well i have no issue with the uh, any of the credit sequences at all in the hollow in the new halloween movies what are our final thoughts folks what? did this movie make you more or less excited to see halloween ends a year later I would say at least on initial viewing. And I, honestly, <laughs> I didn't watch this again until since I, this is the first time mm-hmm. I've watched it since the theater. Uh, and, but it did, it, it was like, Oh yeah, I want to see where this goes. Um, that's how I felt. And uh, for, but I was like, <laughs> the only one that I've of this trilogy, to be honest, that I'm like, I really want to see it again soon is Halloween ends just because I'm mm-hmm. sort of like, I want to wrap my head around it a little bit again uh, to see if, let's see how it connects, you know? Uh, Cause I liked it, but I was a little bit also kind of like, I need to sit with this a little bit. Yeah. So, whereas this one was like, Oh, I get it. You know, there, there's, <laughs> I don't think there's a lot that makes me go, Oh, I really need to digest this and <laughs> think about this movie. Yeah. It's just like, that was cool. Let's watch the next one. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I was excited for the the next one just since um, Laurie's not really a big part of this one. I was like, okay, well, there's obviously going to be a lot more with her character in the last one. So I really wanted to see like how they were going to wrap her up. You would think there would be a lot more with Laurie in the last one, but... Well, we'll get to that next week. There is. Um, See that clock of the screen time, though? She actually has more screen time in that than she does in either of the first two. Um, Oh, yeah, I believe that. I mean, yeah, but I mean, like, I would expect that because she's become so, like, in the first one, she's, you know, the second one, she's barely in it. Uh, are we talking about like the original, like the seventy-eight? No, I'm, yeah, you know? I'm actually. I think I think it was clocking in as high as the original, uh, as yeah. far as uh, the amount of screen time that she has in in Halloween ends. Yeah. Um, well, so, which I mean, that's I mean, not everything, but you know, you know, I mean. Well, someone did the same thing. It's like, well, Michael Myers is in yeah. Halloween Kills. Uh, Halloween ends like just as much as he is in the, the original. original. Yeah, and it's like, well couple things about that number one like <laughs> the movie, movie is like about 30 minutes longer yeah. for one so but the other thing is even when you don't see michael in john carpenter's movie you feel him yeah. you know his presence is around mm-hmm. where uh, i should save this for now yes. okay save <laughs> probably probably good call we, we just would like, just he's... start talking about that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's like you get this this movie introduces Halloween ends introduces their version of Poochie. I'll just leave it at that for right now. Um, so I don't know what that means. I it's a Simpsons it's a Simpsons, it's a Simpsons reference. reference. Yeah. Um, okay, she's no Star Wars, no Simpsons. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm trying. All right, I'm trying, Mike. I really. I'm am. the worst. Listen, <laughs> so listeners, yeah. Overall, like this, it's a solid slasher. It's a solid slasher. Um, I think maybe it suffers from what a lot of modern slashers do is that they want to be about something more than just being a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, I think that's where maybe the movie stumbles a little bit. Um, sure. Devoid of that context, it presents Michael <laughs> in a way that I really like. 
I think the kills are just fucking brutal in this movie. Like, there are some really great sequences. It feels like the shape to me. Do I love this movie? No. Would I pull it off the shelf before Halloween 4 or even H2O? Probably not. But is it something I'll revisit again? Yeah, I think I'll revisit this one again. So, All right. Before we go, Michelle and Brian, what's up with Movies for Life? What do you have coming up? Oh, uh, well, we've got uh, we just released a Halloween episode on a couple of movies that are not horror films, but are have kind of Halloween spirit to them. So mm-hmm. that was on uh, Practical Magic and E.T. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, we've got a, a special episode coming up on Jurassic Park. Uh, we really recently did one on the Burbs um, with Anthony King uh, from the Cult Movies podcast. And let's see here. And we recorded our episode for our pre-Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. So that one was mm. that one's fun. So all about food. Uh, so keep an eye out there. Um, so and the Movies for Life podcast you can find on Twitter at Movie Life Pod uh, if you are interested in finding out more. And sometimes we else have you giveaways add on that, Michelle. <laughs> sometimes we do. <laughs> it's been a while since I've done yeah. one of those, but yeah. Great. And Michelle, where can they find you online and what else are you working on? Um, absolutely nothing except the podcast, really. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> you can just find me uh, at Michelle in Agen. Okay. And Brian, you're at? I'm uh, I'm at uh, BrianWaves42 now. Um, just switch that handle back to the way it, what it was a long time ago. Um, okay. Uh, related to writing, uh, as far as Halloween goes, I just had a piece that actually did pretty well <laughs> over a Bloody mm-hmm. Disgusting on Halloween 3, looking back at it 40 years later. I promise it is not another Halloween 3 is good, actually, article. What uh, it is? <laughs> I have no idea. I think we idea. all know that by now, um, <laughs> but it does... It does um, Take a look. Uh, I try to take an in-depth look at, at what that movie um, really is, and I I just like that movie more and more every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's a charming movie. Yeah, it yeah. Is. And Tom Atkins. <laughs> a, I mean, what can yeah. you say? Inventor of the He's Atkins right. diet, which is <laughs> vagina, um, so, vagina, whiskey, and cigarettes. The original no, it's it's, it's, uh, it's 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 it uh, what Miller Highball, Miller High Life. Yes, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. Probably yeah. champagne and a bottle of beer. Um, all right, listeners, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can follow our show at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Visit our site, podandthependulum.com, to get all of our back episodes. Please, if you have not already, and we actually have gotten some really nice reviews lately, and I appreciate that, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a few kind words and a review. Uh, It goes a long way to new listeners, like, finding us, um, which is really, I really do appreciate that, like, we are pretty close, like on Apple to the first page of like when you look at film history, we're like a few slots behind landing on that first page, which oh, again, that's awesome. we're an independent podcast with no network behind us, no celebrities behind us. We just like are a bunch of people that love to talk about movies and this show has grown organically because of like listeners like yourself that have really supported us for the past few years. And I'd like to 
you know, get a little bit bigger would be very nice. But we appreciate if you could leave us a, a rating or review and make sure you subscribe. Go ahead and listen to my other show, uh, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, where we talk about horror through the lens of mental health. This month, what the heck are we doing? Childhood fears. So we've done It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2 and talked about how fear develops in children, how to help children overcome fears, things of that nature, as well as analyzing the movies. Uh, And we have comfort horror episodes up in October on Shaun of the Dead. And we just recorded last night on Hell House LLC, which I think will be a franchise we cover probably next October. I think that'll be our October franchise. I really dig those movies. Um, But yeah, we again, we'll be back on Halloween. We'll be packing our bags and leaving Haddonfield once and for all on the back of Corey Cunningham's motorbike, riding tandem while the cramps and the dead Kennedys play in the background, hugging him, hugging ourselves to his tight bosom as we leave Haddonfield (laughs) once and for all with Haddonfield heads. We'll be back. Take care.